and welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm your host, my name is Caitlin. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be art house and world cinema. On today's episode, this is going to be a very raw um, episode, I'm going to share my thoughts about Call Me By Your Name, which is um, a film directed by Luca Guadagnino and released in 2017. I read the book um, Call Me By Your Name by Andre Andre Asimon. Uh, I read the book first and it was very important to me and I had an intense, intense relationship with the book and I had to see this film. I was desperate to see it, so I did. And so I'm just going to talk about this film because it made me feel a lot of things. And I want to capture my thoughts and emotions. Uh, if you're new to the podcast um, and you don't know who I am, as I said, my name's Caitlin. I'm a writer. I'm a dreamer. I love literature, art, poetry. I crave knowledge. I want to know about the world. Um, I'm very sensitive. And I love cinema. Um, it's a passion that developed little bit later in my life, probably my late teens, early 20s, I discovered art house cinema around 2011, I would say. That's when I got really, really obsessed with it. And I've just been hooked um, and in love with it ever since. Um, if you're new and you don't know what the title refers to, Her Head in Films, just comes from an email that I sent a friend a few years ago when I was obsessively watching films, which I still do. And I said in that email, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. And I thought that was the perfect way to describe my relationship to cinema. I love these films madly, deeply, passionately. Um, I live in a rural area, don't have an art house theater where I live. So I'm pretty isolated. Um, and I created the podcast as an outlet, a way to express myself and to share all my feelings about film. This podcast does have a Patreon. If you'd like to help financially support it, I'd love to have you as a patron. You can get access to all kinds of rewards and extras, including bonus episodes that I do just for patrons. Um, you can find my Patreon at patreon.com slash herheadandfilms. At one level, you can get a shout-out in each episode. So I'd like to thank the following um patrons carolyn feminist overlord michelle jesse paulina Lindsay, and olivia thanks so much for being patrons of the podcast and i'd love to thank all of you um for supporting the podcast i just turned a year old um the podcast did and it's just been a real great experience to bring you this podcast um every week i do try to do it pretty regularly and, and weekly so my podcast is not huge um but i've been taking it really seriously you know and i put out episodes every week and you know i have um you know followers who interact with me on social media and stuff so you know it's grown a little bit it's grown more than i thought it would and it kind of, it can make me feel a little bit nervous, a little bit of pressure when I do the episodes to, 
you know, um, do a lot of research and, and, um, and I'm not against doing that, of course, but sometimes I miss just being in the moment and just talking about a film sort of in an, in a raw, unedited way. Um, you know, when I did like the episode on Carnival of Souls a few months ago around Halloween of 2017, you know, I did a lot of research about the film and, and, you know, behind the scenes and how it was made and, you know, things like that. Cause I wanted to give you some information about that. And, but sometimes I just want to talk about the experience of a film. Um, so that's what I'm going to do with call me by your name. I am literally like laying in my bed right now. Um, I've been crying <laughs> most of the night. Uh, I was crying as I watched the film too. And, um, my glasses have tears like streaked on them. Um, Call Me By Your Name is a really important book to me by Andre Asimon. And I was thinking as I watched the movie, you know, I wonder what it's like to watch this movie without knowing the, the book, you know. And so when I watched it, I wanted to be open to it fully. And I decided that as I watched the film, that's what I was going to try to do, is that I was going to try to be as open to this film as possible. Because when you have an intense relationship with a book, you can be a bit discriminating against the movie version, right? And um, reading Call Me By Your Name was like a religious experience. That's what I tell people. Um, because it's this gorgeously written book. Um, it's just... Ugh. And if you're listening to this episode, I'm just assuming that you know about the story, you know. Um, it's about, um, Elio, who's like 17, and Oliver, who's 24. Elio lives with his family in Italy, and, um, but they're American, and Oliver comes over to work as like an, a teaching, not a teaching assistant, but like a research assistant with Elio's father, who is like a professor, and so it takes place over the course of the summer of like in the 1980s. I think in the movie it was 1983. Um, it takes place over this beautiful summer and Elio and Oliver fall in love and it's about their relationship together. And so that's sort of the gist of it. Um, I, it's hard to explain how powerful the book is. It's, if anything was not translatable to the screen, it was this book because it's in the mind of Elio. It's about, um, how he is falling in love with Oliver and all these feelings that he has with Oliver for a while. He doesn't share them and he doesn't tell Oliver how he feels about him. And so it's very, there's an interiority to the book and you're in the mind and psychology of Elio. And so that is something that's very difficult to translate um, onto the screen. But um, the person that wrote the screenplay for the film version was James Ivory. And he's this amazing man. I love James Ivory. He did quite a few films that he's mainly known for in the 1980s, these Merchant Ivory films that he did with his partner. And um, 
there are these period dramas. Um, a lot of them are based on E.M. Forster's novels, including um, Howard's End, A Room with a View, and um, my personal favorite, Morris. Um, I mean, here in America, we would say Maurice, but when I watched the film, I noticed that they pronounced it Morris. And um, I've always wanted to talk about that film. It stars Hugh Grant, a very young Hugh Grant. And it was released in 1987. And it stars Hugh Grant and James Wilby at their most beautiful. And I love that film dearly. I hope to do an episode about it one of these days. But um, so Ivory has this really great pedigree, I guess you could say. It's really great track record of not only... Um, doing romantic stories and love stories, but doing queer love stories, because that's what Morris is. Um, so I think if anybody could have translated this book to a film, it would be James Ivory. And of course, Luca Guadagnino is, I think, a wonderful director. I enjoy his work. I've seen I Am Love. I think that's the only film by him that I've seen so far. Um, and what I love about this film, and, and so this review, I'm going to try not to talk so much about the book. I want to talk about the film. And I think it's important to assess the film on its own. And I I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful film. Um And it's it's like so hard to talk about. I feel really emotional about this film. First of all, it's set in Italy, and it's such a beautiful location. And I love I love these films set in Italy in the summertime. Um, I talked about David Lean's Summertime in one episode, which stars Catherine Hepburn as sort of an older woman who travels to Italy. Um, I love the film Enchanted April uh, by Mike Newell. That's also about women who go on a holiday to Italy. I love Joanna Hogg's film Unrelated, which is all about a woman who goes to Italy. And she kind of has this flirtation with a younger man. I'd love to do an episode about Unrelated because I think it's a wonderful um, film. And it's really a film about loneliness. But, um... I love these films set in Italy, you know, um, there, it's like sun soaked and it's, it sort of reminds you of your youth. I mean, I'm 28. I mean, I'm not considered old or anything like that, but I'm someone who I've never felt young. I've never felt carefree. I've never had these experiences that you see in a lot of coming of age films or romance films. It's, it was never part of my experience growing up or in my childhood. You know, when I was a teenager, I was going through much more difficult things. Um, when I was 16, my father died. And before he died, he had been sick. So from about the time I was 13, um, I had a lot of heavy stuff going on in my life. My father had health issues, and then he died. And by the time I was 20... You know, he died in 2006. So from 2006 to 2009, my father died, my grandmother died, and my uncle died. 
each for each year one of them died so by the time I was 20 I had been to three funerals of, of my family members and it was a devastating experience so I didn't really have your typical conventional childhood um, I really often feel robbed um, I didn't have any kind of normal experiences that people have um, so I, I feel like I've just kind of always been old <laughs> in a way I've, I've just been through really difficult experiences that make me a really sad person I carry I carry a lot of sorrow and a lot of grief and a lot of anguish in my being it's so much a part of me um, and it affected me in so many ways from my mental health because I struggle with anxiety and really bad depression and my physical health um, I struggle with health issues and so um, you know I've never been like Elio or Oliver you know I've never been this person who is carefree and falling in love and you know going to Italy and so sometimes I think that I seek out these stories of people going to Italy on vacation or or romances I don't watch a lot of romantic films it depends um, yeah it just depends sometimes I do love coming of age romance stories like just today I was watching Dirty Dancing and I was reminded of how beautiful that film is and and how it is so much I mean it I think it gets this reputation of maybe being this very sexual film and it is there's sex in it but like call me by your name the sex is secondary what is central is intimacy is eroticism is sensuality and that's something very different than just sex and orgasm you know the thing about call me by your name is that it is a sensory film you know Luca likes to linger on the trees and the sun and um, the rivers and the water and the apricots and um, the food and he I think he's in this film he's interested in in life in the way that life um, goes by during the summer the slowness of the days the haziness of those days of summer I mean if you think about it from Elio's perspective you know this is a huge monumental summer for him this is really his first love you know the first big love of his life and it's obviously the first major heartbreak of his life I mean I think Elio and Oliver were soulmates I think that they were meant to be together period um, and that comes through very much in the book as well but again I'm trying not to uh, reference the book quite so much um, so um, this film is just I, I seek out these stories because I didn't have them in my own childhood or my own coming of age and because I don't have them now either you know in many ways I feel like my life is sort of a failure 
and I feel a lot of shame about my life and I feel a lot of like emptiness as a person, a lot of loneliness, a lot of, um, you know, I don't know how to put it into words without sounding terribly pathetic or something, but I, I'm a very lonely person and, um, I don't really know what it's like to connect to other people in these really deep and lasting ways. And I didn't have deep connections with my family. I didn't have deep connections with people growing up. Um, it, it has eluded me. I mean, where I lived, I lived in the rural South. I lived in rural North Carolina for most of my life. And, you know, I was different. You know, I'm not saying I was some special snowflake or something, but I was a lot like Elio in that I, and this is something else I love about the film, is the way it revels in art and music and and um, intellectual pursuits and the pursuit of knowledge, how it takes those things seriously and, and sees them as enriching and... Um, and important and that's who I was as a kid as I was interested in art I used to collect art books whenever I could I used to go to the Goodwill and, and buy books and because um, I, I we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up we were pretty poor at times and um, I would go to the Goodwill and you know you could buy books sometimes for 50 cent or a dollar and if I ever saw art books, I would get them, um, or books about history. And, you know, at a, at a young age in my teens, I fell in love with Virginia Woolf and Sylvia Plath. And I loved poetry, and I was interested in the Holocaust. And I, I was, I mean, I'm talking about, like, I was 10 years old, you know, reading about the Holocaust and watching PBS and watching history documentaries and reading poetry and, and writing and thinking about really serious things, you know, like genocide and violence and feminism. And I was a feminist from a very early age as well. So I was this different person. I, I felt things very deeply. I, I thought of myself as an intelligent sort of artistic or creative person. And I always struggled to find other people who were like that and who valued art, who valued intellectualism, who valued knowledge, you know, and wanted to know about the world. That's what I wanted more than anything. I I loved reading. I obsessively read books just like Elio, Elio does. I was calling him Elio, and then in the book they called him Elio, so... I feel ridiculous, but it's Elio, and I see a lot of myself in Elio, because he's young, he's only 17, but he's so smart and intellectual, and that's one of the great scenes in the film, is um, when Oliver says, is there anything you don't know, and then Elio is so wise, he says, I, I don't know the exact quote, but I don't... Uh, the gist of it is I don't know a lot about the things that really matter. And that's sort of the way he told Oliver that he was interested in him and that he was um, attracted to him. 
So I love how, and, and the book does this as well, and I love that the, that the film preserves it, is this value that it places on art. And, um, you know, obviously they are a privileged, wealthy family, and they have um, the resources, you know, to really dedicate their life to the arts and, and to that kind of life. You know, when you're living in rural North Carolina, it's just, there's not a lot of avenues available to you in that way. And I always felt like my life was just very limited, and I still feel that way. You know, I, I haven't been able to pursue, you know, any of my dreams, really. So, um, you know, Elio, obviously, he loves music, he transcribes music, and and he certainly has access to those worlds that he probably wants to enter when he gets older. So he has all kinds of advantages and opportunities in life, obviously, um, just because of his class privilege and, and, and all of that. But I, I definitely saw some of myself in Elio, and um, I loved how Luca really focused on that you know he focused on the art the music the books i loved all the books in the film and i think um elio gives somebody a book and it's it's this thing of um you know reading is is very important and it's it's highly valued in in the family and um and all of that but of course the central thing of this film is the relationship between Oliver and Elio and I just loved the way that the relationship was represented and um, there actually wasn't as much nudity as I expected I think because the book is very sexual it's very erotic and um, the sex in the film is more tame, I think I would say, but that's okay. I mean, I think there's always this danger with queer films that it will only be about sex or um, that people can, I think, fetishize it or something like that or, or um, define queer people or, or gay people or, or whatever in terms of the sex you know, and sexualize them to an extreme. So in a way, I I respect that Luca wanted to really emphasize the intimacy um, between Elio and Oliver. And um, I just, I still find it so strange that a lot of films have no problem showing women naked. I mean, you'll even in this film, we saw breasts, you know, um, and they'll show female genitalia, women's bodies, nude. There was like no male nudity in this film that you saw. I think you saw Army Hammer's butt. <laughs> but you did not see male frontal nudity. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see it. Um, I'm not saying there needed to be male frontal nudity by any means. But I just find it interesting um, how in so many films we will see um women you know in the nude and it's just sort of nothing you know it's just they just do it like it's nothing but we it's much more rare to see men naked especially frontal nudity 
and that's fine. I mean, whatever. Um, what I loved about the film was the sensuality of it and was the eroticism of it. Like just the kissing or just the scene where Oliver is massaging Elio's foot after he has the nosebleed and he's massaging his foot and then he kisses his foot. You know, I thought that was beautiful. And, um, and of course the peach scene, I mean, that is, <laughs> I, I was convinced that couldn't be translated from the book because in the book, that was such an intense scene. Um, it started out like this strange thing that Elio does. And then it actually turns into this profound moment of connection, you know, of, you know, literally, you know, Oliver taking, you know, in a way, taking Elio into his body, in a way, um, by tasting the peach that has Elio's stuff in it. <laughs> I feel weird even talking about it in these terms. Um, but it's this moment of intense, almost communion, I guess you could say, where it's almost like they have merged or they are of each other's flesh in a way. So it's actually a really beautiful scene. And of course, in the moment, Elio is so overwhelmed um, that he starts to cry. And so it's also this moment of really intense vulnerability. And I will say that um, that Timoth Timothy Chalamet, yeah, I think that's how it's pronounced, I hope. Um, I thought Chalamet was really amazing in this film. Like, his vulnerability, you know, his willingness to, like, cry on camera. You don't often see that from men or from young boys. That openness of emotion, that depth of feeling. And I felt like Chalamet had a really difficult job to do as Elio. Because Elio is so intellectual. Elio is so within his own mind. He's so interior um, that Chalamet had to really convey a lot through his posture or through his facial expression or, or things like that. And I all, and I actually thought that he did a really astounding job as Elio. And I think he's the standout actor in the film. I'm not saying Army Hammer is not good. Army Hammer is very good. But um, for me, Elio is always central. And Oliver is there. And we... We love Oliver, of course, but we don't know as much about Oliver. I think Oliver is more, there's more of a distance, obviously, because the story focuses on Elio. And um, so Army Hammer is absolutely gorgeous in this film. I mean, <laughs> oh my Lord, I could not get over some of the scenes, how beautiful he was. I had never seen Army Hammer look like that. You know, I don't know much about Army Hammer. I have actually not seen an Army Hammer film. I always thought he had the strangest name. <laughs> and um, he had a lot of bombs, uh, especially with um, the Lone Ranger. 
I don't know if I ever really took him seriously as an actor, but I think he does a really, really good job in Call Me By Your Name. And he is, yeah, he's good. I think he's good in it. For me, I think Chalamet is the more interesting actor in the film. But, you know, other people may think differently, but I thought Army Hammer um, was quite, quite beautiful to look at, for sure. Um, and um, I felt that he gave all of himself to the role. And that in the intimate scenes, he was fully open to it and was engaged in it and did a really beautiful job as Oliver. But I do think the emotional depth is obviously in Elio. And Elio has more at risk. This is a bigger deal to Elio. He's only 17. He's never really been in love in this way. And um, he has much more to lose and much more to suffer, I think, than Oliver does. And so Chalamet had to convey so many emotions from elation, you know, when he's with Oliver and falling in love with Oliver, and then pure heartbreak, you know, at the end. I was thinking, you know, as I watched this film, I was like, this did not happen. These people are not real. <laughs> but I am so invested in this story. And you know what? I'll take a sequel. Absolutely, I would take a sequel to this. Because there are some talks, there are some rumors that they may do a sequel later on, maybe a few years from now or whatever, where they go back to Elio and Oliver later on in their lives. And there is some of that in the book, you know, at the end of the book where we see about their lives and they meet again and things like that. And um, I really think that if they kept Army Hammer and Timothy Chal Chalamet, if it was still Luca, hey, if it was James Ivory, too, I think if the elements were good, I think it could come together. And I think it could be really interesting to sort of explore their lives. But I think this is just a part of me that doesn't want to let this story go. Right? I mean, I don't want to let these characters go. They are so much a part of my life at this point, And I don't know how to let them go. And when Elio and Oliver have that final sort of little tryst in Italy before Oliver is going to go back to America, oh my lord, I was crying so much because it really hit me. You know, this is the last time Elio is going to see Oliver. You know, it just, and you could tell that Elio could feel it, that he could feel that everything he was experiencing, um, was going to end that all of this happiness all of this this joy this connection to this person is going to disappear and it's going to be over and i think that's what compels me so much about the story itself whether it's the book or the film yes i love the sensuality of it i love that it's this romantic gorgeous story about these two men that connect on such a deep deep level but for me, um, this story is also about when you're older, and I think you understand it when you're older, looking back on your life, looking back on a time when you were 
truly happy and realizing that that's over. That's what this is about, is that because Call Me By Your Name, the book itself, is narrated by Elio when he's older. So he's looking back at that summer in Italy with Oliver. So there is this profound nostalgia um, that he, an aching in the book, which obviously doesn't come through with the film because with the film it's purely about the summer. There is no after the summer. We don't, we don't, there is no voiceover by an older Elio in the film, obviously. But the film captures the beauty of that summer and it captures that sort of hazy, sun soaked light and beauty that we tend to have when it comes to our memories and when it comes to our nostalgia from certain times in our life. And I myself think about things from my childhood, you know, before my father died before I lost so much. I think about it all the time and it makes it hard for me to live right now in the present because I'm always thinking about the past. I'm always thinking about times when I was happier, when I was whole, when I was healthy, when I was before I knew about death, before I knew about heartbreak, before I knew about grief, before my life was just um shattered you know I think about certain experiences from when I was really young and so in many ways I am Elio looking back on a certain time in my life and um I think that is the power of this story is that even if you have never had a summer romance or never felt like you met your soulmate when you were young and then you had to part or something you we all have times in our lives or times in our childhood where we were, um, or just times in our life that are now gone when we were happy and we were, you know, we were at peace or we felt whole or something like that, you know. And that's always, for me, been the power of, of the story of Elio and Oliver. Um, is also what was between them and then of course what could have been the tragedy that they were never together and and of course that is the heartbreak of the end of the film is that they're not together you know that Oliver calls and he's so far away in America and he's engaged and oh my god that ending ugh. Where Elio, you know, speaks his own name, own name into the phone, you know, Elio, 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 and then Oliver responds and he says, I remember everything. Oh my God, I teared up so bad um, with that. And um, just to know that it meant as much to Oliver as it did to Elio. It meant so much to both of them. And, oh, God. This is like a modern epic love story, in my opinion. This is going to go down as one of the classic cinematic love stories. It just is. It is going to go in the canon for me, personally. And, um...
because it's just so intense and of course they can't be together and you know every every um you know classic love story tends to end that way where the two lovers cannot be together and they are kept apart you know and um even though it was the 1980s there was still a lot of stigma about being gay or being queer there are people who sort of debate if this is a gay love story because Elio, um, in the book and also in the film, has sex with women, and he enjoys women. It's not something where it's like, oh, I have to be with a girl or something, or I have to hide my real sexuality. I mean, I guess that's up for debate for some people. I saw it more as Elio was bisexual. Um, so I would use the word queer, that it's a queer love story. Um... I don't know if I would categorize Elio as purely gay because in his own words in the book he expresses a desire for women's bodies as well uh, and for women you know and he dates girls and so I don't think that should necessarily be erased and it is shown in the film as well um, you know I guess it's up to other people if they want to see it as just him sort of trying to pretend like he's not gay or something but I you know he, he seemed to have a meaningful connection with some of the women in his life so I would I see him more as bisexual really but Oliver it seemed like was possibly one of the first men he had been with and um his connection to Oliver is obviously like soulmate, you know, like this is the great love of his life. And, um, and even though it's the 1980s, there is still, there was still a stigma attached to it. There was still, you know, um, there is to this day, <laughs> I mean, people who act like it's just totally great for gay people. I mean, what world are you living in? The LGBTQ community is still struggling. Still. I mean, people think because there's gay marriage, everything's okay. No. There is still huge amounts of discrimination and stigma. Um, just because, you know, people can get married doesn't mean that there's not still issues for, for queer people in America. Um, you need to do your scope a little bit larger than that. Um, so there's still plenty of issues um, happening that needs to be addressed and depending on where you live being gay is can still be dangerous or being queer can still be dangerous um, you know people who live in small towns in the rural south all kinds of places it is not <laughs> it is not safe to come out it is not um a good environment or an accepting environment at all so in the 1980s that was similar so uh, while you know elio and oliver are not defined by the social constraints of their love they're pretty open and free about it for the most part mainly because they're like in you know the countryside of Italy there's not exactly tons of people watching them you know they're out in nature nature gives them a certain amount of privacy and shelter for them to be much more open about their love and their connection and um and it's just beautiful to see that 
on the screen um but there were still social social constraints you know and you see that in Oliver getting engaged and and doing that when he was obviously in love with Elio and um he and he says that on the phone call you know you're lucky that your dad was is so accepting that your family is accepting because Oliver said that his own father would have sent him to like a military camp or something like that or military school so we know that Oliver has come from um a family that's not as accepting that is much more homophobic and um he may feel more pressure because of that to get married and to fit into this role of a straight man and to fit that idea of masculinity but it's just so tragic that the two of them can't be together um i was trying to think there's anything else I wanted to talk about what struck me as I watched the film was not just this film but film in general you know when I go through times when I'm really you know down and sad and depressed which is pretty much all the time at this point in my life you know when I watch these films I sometimes wish that there was no um what's the word barrier between me and the film like I said I often wish I could enter these films I could enter these other worlds you know and like I wish that it wasn't just a screen I wish that it was like this place that I could inhabit you know like I wish I could be in Italy in the 1980s with Oliver and Elio and or just different films that I watch it's like more and more it's like I don't want to be in my life I want to be in other people's lives or in other worlds and other stories it's it becomes so exhausting to live with your own pain and your own emptiness and I often feel like do I watch films because of that emptiness that I'm trying to fill myself with these other stories and these other people and you know, maybe that's why I've latched on to Elio and Oliver so much is that they have this romance that I've never had. They have this love that I've never had. They have this connection and intimacy that I've never had. And I love the sensuality between, I love like the hunger that they have for each other. Those are the films that I find the most erotic. I don't like films that are just all about like sex or or like pornographic you know I, I like seduction I like you know um, I like to see people longing for each other and yearning for each other and like they can't get enough of each other and that's what I got with Elio and Oliver is just this hunger that they have for one another's skin one another's bodies and again this is what comes through in the novel the novel is profoundly sensual and erotic and that is a beautiful part of our lives and of our beings is eroticism and sensuality and sexuality all of them are important and um too often especially in american culture you know sex gets used to sell things you know sex gets turned into this commodity and it gets so divorced and separated from its more spiritual at times dimension and um 
you know, the sensual and the erotic can be profoundly spiritual, profoundly liberating, profoundly beautiful in our lives. You know, for someone to touch you, for someone to, you know, the way it makes your skin feel, the way it makes your body feel, you know, that is a beautiful thing. Love is a beautiful thing. And, um, I love that the story revels in that and that the film revels in that. It revels in skin and touch and hair. You know, Army Hammer's hair was so beautiful in this film. <laughs> and um, I loved, like, when Elio and Oliver were together, it's like, I think there was this scene where, like, their their legs were sort of entwined with each other. It's like this sense that they were fusing together, that they were becoming one. And there's just something so beautiful about that. And like, how many people get to experience that with another person where they are fully one body and soul that they feel like they have been born to love this person, to spend their life with this person. You know, I don't know if love like that exists. I really don't. Um, but I think that's why people love these big love stories, you know, like Call Me By Your Name, is that it makes us feel like maybe it's possible, maybe it does exist, that you could find someone that you connect to, you know, through your body, through your soul, through your whole entire being, and and that you wouldn't feel alone. You know, a love that would banish loneliness, a love that would make you finally feel alive and like you matter and like someone sees you, someone knows you, someone values you. And, you know, I think so many of us crave that and ache for that. I know I do. I absolutely ache for that kind of love and connection and I don't know if it could ever happen. I mean, the closest I have come to it is my parents. I had a profoundly close relationship to my father, and I feel like he was the love of my life and my soulmate along with my mom. Those are the only two people that I've ever felt any kind of unconditional um, love from and for. And... um I mean, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I've had at least that. You know, so many people don't even get that. And I, I understand that. I am grateful for it. But of course, when you lose it, and when he died, I lost that. You know, I lost something miraculous. I lost something, you know, not of this world in many ways. And that's what's hard to communicate to people. And that's what happens to Elio. Is that yes, he knows and experiences this miraculous, beautiful, life-affirming love. But he also loses it. And that is devastating. And that is pure heartbreak. So experiencing it is powerful. But losing it can be life-shattering and soul-shattering. And, um... That is what I think the film captures as well, is that it captures that the rapture um, 
of Elio and Oliver's love, the rapture of their connection. And then it also captures um, the agony of their separation and Elio's um, devastation at, at losing Oliver. I mean, it's not a death, but he sort of might as well be dead in some ways. I mean, him and Oliver can, you know, Elio and Oliver can't be together. You know, they just can't. <laughs> so, um, you can tell that that's profoundly devastating to Elio's life. But, um, I was not prepared for this film, just as I wasn't prepared for the book. Um, I think the film did a one I, I think the film is great i really do i think it's i couldn't find any imperfections with it really i mean I, i'm not gonna critique it at all i mean i loved it some i mean can anything live up to the book for me no you know like i said it was a religious spiritual experience it was like I became this book or something. Like I fused myself with this book. And the words just became part of my soul or something. I can't explain it. It was such an important book to me. And um, obviously nothing can live up to it. Nothing can really touch it. But um, but I'm I'm glad that Luca and James Ivory tried. You know, that they still gave us, I think, a film that um, is captures the spirit of the book. And it captures the romance, the sensuality, the love, the nostalgia, the beauty of the book. And it's its its, its own thing. You know, it's separate from the book. And it's a beautiful love story for the ages. It's a beautiful cinematic love story. And so I have no problem with the film, you know. If it was a terrible film, I would be disappointed, obviously. But I think if we're going to get a film adaptation from it, I would rather it be this than something else. I think it had great acting, great writing, great directing, you know. I think it really came together. And it was just really a beautiful experience to watch it. Um, some beautiful music as well. I'll probably be listening to the soundtrack for a while, too. Because I just want to keep entering that world of, you know, Italy in the 1980s. And it's just, yeah. But I just wanted to, I wanted to capture my, my initial feelings about the film. And, um... It, I think it stayed pretty true to the book in terms of the plot. You know, I, not a ton of things were changed. And, of course, it kept some of the, the best scenes, you know. You know, the first time that Oliver and Elio are together, the peach scene, obviously. Um, the, there's a lot of um, great scenes that it, that it captured as well and brought to life. And, and um yeah, I'm really glad I saw it. It's a really great way to start the year out, is to watch this film. You know, it, it really is. And I think it deserves all the praise that it's getting. I certainly didn't think it was a mediocre film by any means. 
like I, like I say, like I said earlier, I had to just let the book go while watching the film and try to evaluate the film on its own merits and on the story that it tells and the way that it tells the story and just let myself be taken over by it. Let myself just enter this other world, this cinematic world that is very different from the literary world, the book world that is created by the novel. And I think when I did that and I let go, then I was able to take pleasure in the film and feel and and feel the the beauty of this film you know i think it honestly depends on which one you experience first i was thinking about that actually i was like you know you gotta watch you gotta experience one of them first right i mean either the book or the film first and i assure you whichever one you start out with usually is the one that you will prefer like i watched morris james ivory's morris from 1987 i watched the film first and then I read E.M. Forrester's book. I prefer the film because my experience of the film was so intense. And I love Hugh Grant in the 1980s and 90s. I love his hair. And I don't understand why that hair ever went away for men. And I really wish somebody would bring back the 90s Hugh Grant hairstyle because it's beautiful. <laughs> um, I miss it dearly. And I loved James Wilby, who I think plays Morris in the film. He's blonde. He's just stunning. The music is gorgeous. The whole film is just, oh, I can't even talk about it. I just fell in love with this film. And so then I wanted to go and read the book. And so I did. For me, the film was better, right? Because I watched the film first and I had this very personal connection with it. It hit me at a time in my life when I needed it. I remember watching that film. I watched it twice. I watched it like over and over again, which I rarely do. I listened to the soundtrack. I mean, there's so much involved in it. That's why I want to do an episode about it in the future, hopefully. And so I think it's the same thing with Call Me By Your Name. If you read the book first, like I did, well, then it, the book is everything that you love and you just adore the book. But if you saw the movie first and then read the book, I can see how your experience would be different. The, how can you read the book the same? You already have seen the film. You already know certain plot points. You know about the peach scene. You know about the sex scene. You know, You know all of that, right? So... You can't read the book in the same way as someone who who read the book first and didn't know what was going to happen. And so I just think it's interesting how these works of art can just, they they can hit us all in really diverse ways. And, and, and it just depends on where you're at in your life and, and things can just connect with you or not connect with you, you know. And I think that's interesting to think about, too. And it's just something that sort of fascinates me is our own personal connection to different kinds of art, you know. And um, I will say, finally, I'm going to try to wrap this up because it's getting late <laughs> as I record this. Um, I thought it was really beautiful, the relationship between Elio and his father 
and a lot of people have talked about the scene where his dad gives this speech to him and stuff and his his father is very accepting of elio's love for oliver which would be like a really rare prob probably a rare thing you know usually most people if they found out their son was in love with another man would maybe not be as accepting especially in the 1980s but even now that's something that some families can't accept and can't be supportive about and so a lot of people have talked about how beautiful that was you know how supportive the father was of elio and the beautiful speech that he gave and i definitely agree and it reminded me really again you know these personal connections that i feel to this story you know of seeing some of myself in elio and i saw that with elio and in his relationship to his father and um i had a really close loving supportive relationship with my own father and i will be honest that when i saw that scene between elio and his dad um i cried i bawled i just i i sobbed so hard during that scene not necessarily because of what the father was saying i honestly can't tell you what he said because i was crying so hard during it 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 reminded me of conversations that i had with my own father um it reminded me of certain things that he he had said to me and um things that i carry in my heart that he said to me and i wish that i could believe those things you know they were supportive loving things and i I wish that I could believe them. I wish that I could love myself the way that my father loved me. That's a struggle for me. To see in myself what he saw in me. But I'm thankful that he told me. That he told me what he felt about me. And that he told me that he loved me and that he showed that love to me and he expressed it and and spoke it to me and that is the central struggle of my life is to see myself the way he saw me with the love and the kindness and the goodness that he saw and um i want to live in a way that honors him and I don't think I'm doing that. Um, I don't know if I'm honoring him. I don't know if I'm doing enough. I don't know. But I wish I could love myself the way that he loved me. Um, I, I don't understand why I feel so terrible about myself all the time. I can't explain it, you know this low opinion I have and this hatred that I have for myself I don't know but I feel really lucky that I had a dad like that and I think Elio had a dad like that too you know someone who was supportive and loving and kind and so that scene it brought up so many emotions for me remembering 
conversations with my father and things that he said to me that I'll never forget and that I'm just thankful that I at least have the memories of it I guess but again it's hard to lose that it's hard to have a love like that and to lose it and to not have it anymore and what do you do what do you do when you've lost that love and you only have the memories you only have your nostalgia and your longing and your aching and that's what Elio is left with at the end of this film and my god Chalamet the last freaking scene just looking in the fire you know and crying and you can see the emotions that pass over his face and you can almost imagine him remembering scenes you know remembering things with Oliver and it's I mean I was so blown away by Chalamet I mean absolutely as an actor I've never seen this guy before and he does this performance I mean I think he could be like the next big actor I mean honestly if he keeps getting roles like this I mean I think he could really be one of like the greats or something like I thought he was tremendous and extraordinary in this film absolutely <laughs> no doubt about it for me so this this story this film the book it is so deeply entwined with my life and my story and my experiences and feelings um, and I can't look at it through any other lens so this is just a very meaningful story to me and I felt like the film was respectful of it and I felt like the film was faithful to it and I thought the film was just a work of art really and a masterpiece and I had no problems with it at all like as someone who adores the book I thought this film was more than <laughs> more than adequate in how it told this story and I've never really belonged to fandom like I don't I don't really give fandom you know I'm not into Twin Peaks I'm not into Game of Thrones I'm not into a lot of these fandoms but I think maybe I'm in the call me by your name fandom now like this story just obsesses me so much I love hearing other people's thoughts about it and who also connected with it and had this intense relationship it's really good to know that I'm like not alone in my feelings that I'm not the only person that really loved this film and, and loved this book and this story and I'm not the only person that Elio and Oliver just captivated and that I just fell so in love with them and with their story and um it's just it's a beautiful beautiful experience of a film and and um, I feel really grateful for it and I'm really glad I saw it so I just wanted to capture my raw unedited you know thoughts and just wanted to talk in the moment talk spontaneously about everything that I'm feeling after watching this film and I hope that you find some value in it okay so I'll stop here <laughs> thanks so much for listening bye for now and until next time 
keep watching great films.